0: The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Dear Heavenly Father, we come boldly before your throne because of your grace, and we ask you um, for even grace now as we look into your word and we think about the truths that um, you have implanted in our hearts, and we pray that you would continue to grow us and mature us in you, help us to turn our eyes away from ourselves and um, just look on you and that finished work that was done at Calvary. We're so thankful that um, our hope is in you and that in you alone, um, that that is where we have our peace and joy. And we're so thankful that you have given us the desire to um, learn more about you And we just pray that that will fill our hearts with a joy that will overflow to others. They will see the difference, and that difference is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you for this time that we have, and may we learn things um, that would help us to magnify your name and glorify you, and that our lives would truly be to the praise of your glorious grace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, more rabbit trails. Here we go. So hang on. Um, We were talking, I, I wanted to mention this, that really there are only three ways that we have to deal with pain of this life. And we all have pain. There's a lady I remember hearing that she travels around and speaks and they say she likes to always start out. She's real southern and they said she'd say, life is hard and then we die. And then, you know, she'd say it, and everybody would first kind of look, and then they'd start giggling a little bit more, and she'd say, life is hard, and then we die. And she'd say it over and over, but then she said, you know, but the point is, as believers, this isn't our home, and we're looking for an eternal home, but it is hard, and life is very, very difficult, and it shakes us, and there are only three ways that we choose to deal with the pain that we face in our lives. Um... We can either take our lives and we can kill ourselves. The fact that you are here, obviously, you haven't taken that route, even if you've tried, maybe. And as I said before, I'm not minimizing that. I deal with people that have suicidal thoughts all the time. But that is a way when somebody loses complete hope. And if they're a believer, they have totally believed the lie of Satan and have believed that their hope um, is no longer enough and sufficient for them to be able to deal with the pain of life. Um, The second way... And this is the way that even as believers is our natural default, and that is to numb ourselves. And then the third way, which is the way we want to live as intentional believers, is to run fervently and passionately to Christ. And I can say that, and what does that look like? And we'll talk about that in the third session, specific ways and specific things that we can do in our passion to run toward Christ in the middle of our pain. But I want to mention this about the numbing ourselves. That's always going to be our natural default, and your default of numbing is not necessarily my default. And another thing, that we don't always numb ourselves with naturally destructive things. Sometimes we can numb ourselves with things that are very good in themselves, but we're still numbing ourselves. Um, There are some people that numb themselves. Obviously, in a world we have people numbing themselves with destructive things, Um, numbing themselves with prescription drugs and taking too many and becoming addicted to them. We have illegal drugs. We have people numbing themselves with alcohol, and they are not comfortable unless they're just, they've numbed themselves and they're drunk and it hides the pain and nobody sets out to do that. Someone who is an alcoholic or who is numbing themselves is addicted to drugs and I deal with people like this, they never set out to do that. What happens is what they start out wanting to numb themselves and enjoying just that little bit of numbing becomes an addiction itself. So really all addictions, The ultimate addiction is addiction to ourself. That's what we all, we all are addicted to ourselves. Christ is the one who sets us free from ourselves. But we don't always live in integrity as believers. It's kind of, I thought it was interesting when people say, I don't like to go to church, it's a bunch of hypocrites. And say, you know, I would just not argue with them. I go, you are so right. Because as a believer, I'm a hypocrite every time I don't live in joy. And I don't live in The fact that I am set free from all condemnation and that I have the perfection of Christ and righteousness of him living through me. And when I don't live like that, every time I sin, I'm living as a hypocrite of who I've been declared to be. So you're right. There are lots of hypocrites, and it's sad. And I'm sorry, but we look to Christ, and it's not about us. You live as a hypocrite when you sin, if you're a believer. And your tendency to deal with the pain of that sin is going to be to numb yourself. Um, And so sometimes it's the pain of addictions, like we just talked about, negative addictions. So when I'm counseling, addiction counseling, it's never to get someone to stop whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter if I get a teenage girl to stop cutting. It will be like whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, we'll, we'll stop that and something else will appear. There will be another way to deal with that addiction. Or you get someone to stop drinking and, be, and, and being drunk all the time. They're go- it's going to pop up someplace else because they're addicted to themselves and making themselves feel better. So unless we allow Christ to take care of our pain and we take it at the foot of the cross and allow his love and his joy to cover that, We're going to keep just going from one numbing thing to another. Sometimes people um, change what they've numbed that's destructive to their bodies, and they change it now to numb themselves with something that's actually healthy, and it's full of fitness, but it's still numbing themselves. And so now, instead of sitting around and eating five bags of cheese doodles while they're watching movies, they're out and running marathons every other week, and they're passionate about this running. And I am not saying if you've run a marathon, you are a number. I'm I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that you have to know your heart enough to realize, am I using this as a substitute of dealing with my pain, standing in the middle of my pain and applying the gospel of grace and growing in grace and my understanding of Christ when I'm in this pain and I'm seeking a relationship with him, or am I trying to cover and mask pain? And the problem with the fitness thing is, you know what, you're not going to be able to do that forever. And it doesn't matter how much someone talks about the fitness we, don't, we can't toil with our mortality. Our, uh, God, he tells us, that's why he tells us in his word, number one, bodily exercise profits little. It's going to profit for a little time, but the exercise, spiritual exercise, unto righteousness is the main thing. And I feel like I, 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 have, I, I can say that because I'm not standing up here as 600 pounds saying, well, I just study righteousness of Christ. I like to run, I like triathlons, I am all for fitness. I just know that I, every day, I ask God, Lord, please don't allow any of this to be a numbing thing. And if at any minute it's taken away or it's taking too much time, when I need to look at the scheme of my day and I'm thinking, now wait a minute, I have 24 hours in a day. And when the bulk of it would be spent on my own body and my taking care of myself, there's a problem here. And those are th- that's something I have to do before God. You know, you can't go to somebody else and go, you, that's a God in your life. You know, if you question it, it well, I would say this. If you feel compelled to talk to everybody else about it, but that person, then you do need to go talk to the person because you shouldn't be talking to other people about it and making all those kinds of judgments. Love each other to enough to know that if you are concerned, someone is numbing themselves with things other than Christ and running to him, love them enough to talk to them and find out their heart. And I always tell people this, how do you know what somebody is really thinking and what their heart is like? Well, the Bible tells us, out of the mouth, the heart speaketh. Um, Or out of the issues, the issues of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So I really can't make judgments about somebody until I sit and listen to them share their heart. And that's why if you're with someone and all they ever talk about is exercise and all they ever talk about is material things and all they ever talk and yet they're a believer, you might have reason to wonder, is Christ everything to them? Is, are they pursuing him? And in love, you might want to ask them in humility, knowing this is a fight. We have a fight to run to Christ. So I don't want to be misunderstood when I talk about good things that you numb with yourself. It doesn't mean we get rid of the good things. That's not the problem. The problem is our heart, and the problem is making that as a substitute for God. So know what it is that you numb yourself with. It could be reading. You immerse yourself into fiction or some kind of book that you escape. It could be television, watching movies, lifetime movies or something that, you know, whatever. You, you, it just lets you shut down and you numb. And, and, again, let me say this. There are times when I admit that I'm numbing myself. I'm so tired. It's like, okay, it's a chill, chill time. I just need to just vegetate for a few minutes here or whatever. I, I'm not even saying that, but I'm talking about in your life where your pattern is you are numbing yourself. You can numb yourself with church activity where you always have to be involved, and you're always doing it. And it's not for God's glory, and it's not for a relationship with him. It's about you, and it's about you looking good or you trying to mask the real issues of your life that need to be dealt with. I'm D. When I travel around to different churches, it's amazing the things that are splitting churches and causing division when one person is used to playing the piano, and she's been the piano player for the past 10 years, but a new lady has come in, and the, or a new pastor, and her, his wife wants to play the piano, now this lady's upset, and I'm going to leave this church because I'm the piano player, and I'm the Sunday school teacher of the junior high kids, and I'm the children's church leader, and you realize you have people like gods. They've made a god out of their service that was supposed to be for the Lord and supposed to be, to be for serving the church body, and it becomes so much about them that when it's taken away, what do they do? Kick and scream. And if that's you, if you are kicking and screaming because some service to God has been taken away from you and you do not like it, you know, that's a really, really good sign that there's some kind of God, that you have made a God out of that because you know when you've made it a god when, when the Lord starts allowing that god to be beat up sometimes he removes that god sometimes he allows it to start causing trouble in your life and your response to that is such a good indication of whether I was making a god out of that I used to love to run a lot, a lot and um, end up having back problems and I remember sitting in the chiropractor's office and he said I've got good oh this is kind of getting lower isn't it um, can you? S- I, I think I'm so loud. I think they might be hearing me. Anyway, oh, whoa, they're gonna hear my stomach. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, that's okay. That might be better. Okay, can you hear me now? Is that better? Okay. Do I need to repeat everything I've said? No, I'm teasing. Um, yeah, I wouldn't know what I said because I don't have any notes. Um, anyway, about the God thing, you, you know that when that. You know your response to whatever it is that's taken away from you, that you know that this was something that you have started making a God in your life. So love it that it is a sign of God's mercies, which are new every day, when he allows something to start causing trouble in your life. Maybe it's a relationship that he takes away from you, or it's a friendship that you enjoyed, and then he takes it away. Oh, I was talking about the chiropractor. That's right. Back off that rabbit trail. The chiropractor told me, he said, I've got good news for you and bad news. He said, the good news is um, I can't, he said, I can't fix what I'm seeing is wrong with your, ba- I mean, the bad news is I can't fix it. He said, the good news is I can manage the pain for you. But he said, this is probably bad news for you. He said, you really shouldn't be running as much as you're running. And he said, in fact, I would prefer you not to run at all. And if you want to end up in a wheelchair, keep running. But you need to stop running. Well, I remember for about a month, like I was just crying that I couldn't run. Like I'd be walking and I would just run a run so badly. And I'm thinking, oh, this is awful. And I'm like an old person now. And this is just, and I really, I just started thinking about it. I go, why is this so important to me? That I really was making it more important than it needed to be. And there were some things that worked out where I can run a little bit more. But I try to tell myself about things that I love to do. I need to say, how would I feel right now if this were taken away from me? How would I feel if this relationship were taken away from me? How would I feel if my husband were taken from me or my children? Yes, I'd be crushed, but I would not be destroyed. That... My anchor has got to be so much in Christ that all of these things, as much as I love them and I enjoy them as gifts from God, they are not the thing that numbs my pain in life and what helps me to get through from day to day. Um, romantic songs, you know, romanticism is just so contrary many times to what we know about God's word and all the romantic movies, and we love them, but it's not really true, and I know my husband is very logical and very godly person, but he doesn't, I can't even listen to, in fact, I told him, I said, I really think that Obama should set in, like, I'm not really for government intervention, but I think it would be good if he decreed that no man can make fun of a romantic movie when... (laughs) A, you can't be spiritual and, or logical, so I don't need him to be telling me if we're listening to a romantic story, that's stupid, who chases cars, or, or, you know, the place, there's a place in a song where it says, let's forget what we're told before we get too old, and he'll go, oh, that's rich philosophy, that's <laughs> rich, Holly, and I'm like, it's just a stupid song, this is, just enjoy the song. But the problem is that is exactly how we live sometimes. We don't, we get so enamored with this thinking that's contrary to God's word. So that's numbing ourselves. Ask yourself, I can't encourage you enough to do that every day before God, to be loving him passionately and say, Lord, I want to bask in your love for me. I want to be thinking about your goodness. I want to be running to you and resting in your incredible love and your mercies that are new and your grace. And I want to experience that in its fullest and enjoy it so I can live to the praise of your glorious grace. And that I'm not numbing myself with anything, whether it's good or bad or it's a problem. Lord help me to just lose that last addiction to myself, of making myself feel better with things that are in this earth. Okay, so those are the the third way is running to Christ, which I said we'll talk about that, especially the last session. But I also wanted to share this. Here's another little rabbit trail for you. And I'll try to give the three since I'm saying I'm giving three. But there are three. It's also our tendency. um, I said this a lot, but it's true. Do you realize how just the battle we're in? We are in a spiritual warfare. There is an enemy and the flesh and the devil. In fact, I tell people, do you realize before we were saved, before we became believers, there really was just one enemy we wrestled with? It was that we were at enmity with God. And there is this enemy, this, this, um, we're, we're enemies and there's animosity that we have, and the gospel's an affront to us. And whether we knew it or not, we were warring against God's truth. That was our, that's where the warfare raged. Then we get saved and we enter into this relationship with Christ. And now we don't have one enemy, we have three we have the enemy, the flesh, and the world, um, our flesh, and then we have the world, all waging war against our position in Christ. So our expectation should be that life is hard and that it's a warfare. And in warfare, people get hurt. There's even collateral damage in warfare, meaning when somebody is fighting in a warfare, sometimes innocent people around get hurt. Sometimes there's friendly fire. So yes, even in your church, You get hurt by people in your church who are part of the body of Christ, and that shouldn't be such a surprise to you. That shouldn't be like, I can't believe it. Of all people, they shouldn't be hurting me. They're Christians. I expect this of the world, but not people who are believers. Well, you know what? Start expecting it because there's friendly fire in warfare, and we're all fighting, and that person is fighting, and they're in a spiritual battle, and sometimes you get hit in the process. And if you realize somebody's a believer and they hit you, they're, they're manifesting a spiritual need at this point. So don't make it about you. Don't try. This is why it's so wonderful when you run to Christ, because you start learning to deal with people out of your fullness instead of your emptiness. I'll give you an example how I know, and we all have emptiness in our heart. We all do. We're not going to have that fullness in Christ, living that out until we meet him and we are fully transformed into being just like Christ. We have our new bodies and new life. So while we're here on this earth, we're fighting against that. There's some emptiness that we have, and we want Christ to fill it, Um, and we want to run to him. But we all have some emptiness, and we need to know where that is And we need to understand and identify where I'm dealing with someone out of my emptiness so I can ask God to cover that with his grace. But I'll give you an example. Here's how I know. I was just thinking this the other day, that I was dealing with my daughter out of my emptiness. Um, Our daughter's very non-emotional. And I knew she was like that when she was five and we're watching Bambi. And who doesn't cry when, when Bambi's going, mutter. Oh, mother. oh, I hate, I just can't even think about it, you know. That's just, <laughs> it just, it's just such a horrible scene, and tears are, you know, flowing down, and, and I look over, and she's literally staring at me. <coughs> it's a movie. <laughs> like, she just was, like, irritated that I was crying. Uh, that's when I knew there's a problem, you know. She's like her dad, and she's just very logical, so she's not really emotional about things. She's also very private, I'm on Facebook. She does not like me to talk about her, and she means it when she says it. So I hardly ever mention her, um, and if I do, I get her permission and make sure it's okay, and even then it's like, I guess. Um, She just doesn't like it, and she's very quiet. So when I pick her up from school, she's had a long day trying to be studious, and she just doesn't like to talk to me. And I wasn't that way. When I got in the car with my mom after school, I told her everything, and I'd be cheering around her while she's fixing supper and telling her about everybody and every conversation. And and I just felt like we had the coolest relationship. We were like best friends. And Macy gets in the car, and she's just. <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, babe, did you have fun? Yes. Well, tell me about it. Does this happen? Mm, no. She's like, Mom, I'm tired." And I I get irritated, you know, I'm feeling like that hurts me. She should have a relationship with me. I drove all the way here and picked her up. (laughs) So this is what I said to her. I said, do you know what, Macy? People like me. You act like you don't like me. (laughs) Listen, I deal with college kids and high school kids. They pay to see me. (laughs) And you, and I'm giving her this long lecture telling her how they pay to see me and she can't even utter more than, a grunt. This is not appropriate. So you know what? I don't have to drive all the way here and pick you up. You know those kind of lectures that you've given? I don't have to drive here and pick you up, but no, I did it because I'm your mother and I care about you and blah, 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 blah. And she's just sitting there not saying a word, (laughs) you know, like my mom's Lulu. And when I got home, I just thought about that. I was just like, Oh, Lord, please, re- that is just, I'm dealing with her out of my emptiness. I want her to feel fill something in me instead of dealing out of fullness of loving Christ and trying to help her and be kind and not make it about me. That's hard. This is hard stuff. And it's easy to say, but then I can even talk about this and then go right home and do it again and think, oh, Lord, please keep me from doing this. But this, the first step is just recognizing we're addicted to ourselves and just saying, Lord, please, just help me to drop dead. When you wake up in the morning, just say, Lord, please, just help me. Just drop dead. Die to myself. And I have a friend that said that. You know, he used to get up and look in the mirror. Drop dead. Okay, that was his little routine. <laughs> and to just say, it's not about us. I don't want to be addicted to myself. I want to run to Christ for the fullness that he allows me to experience so I can live to the praise of his glorious grace and so that we can show that difference to a world who is so addicted to themselves and their own self-power and have to muster that up. And it's never enough, and they have no hope when we have the hope of Christ. Okay, now, what are, when I talk about that we have defaults, there's also our default is to substitute the message of the gospel, And when I say the message of the gospel, yes, I'm talking about the fact that Christ came, that he took on flesh, he became like us without sin, though, and that he suffered and he died on the cross and he bled and he was raised again and he lives forevermore and he calls us to himself as his children and loves us and enters into a relationship and he has taken all the wrath of God upon himself. Every last ounce of that cup of wrath was drained on Christ. And now there's nothing we have to do to have him love us more or love us less. And I don't stand up here and get to speak to you because I had a good day or because I'm in tune and right with God. So there I deserve to be able to talk today. And if I have a bad day, I don't. No, I just know I wake up every day undeserving. And it's Christ who is the one, and I stand here because of Christ, not because of me. Okay, we know all that, um, and we can say that, but our default is to still substitute that message for three other things that I want to talk about. Um, first of all, and, and if, I, if I give two, yell at me, okay, you sequential people. But the first one I want to talk about is the moralism. Moralism puts an emphasis on the will, And your tendency, some of you especially, is going to be to substitute that message by emphasizing your will. You're just going to try harder and you're just going to do right because it's just what you want to do and it's the right thing to do. Um, And there's nothing, there are times, I was going to read a quote, I guess I'll have to bring it later, hopefully I'll have it, but C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote about the will and duty. And he said, you know, you want to be with someone who's clean and honest and kind because they like being clean and honest and kind, not because someone's making them be clean and honest and kind, and that there's actually something that detracts from someone that gives to you that you think is being really kind to you out of their heart, and then you find out they were told they had to do it. It takes it away. It's that idea of duty or delight. We want someone to delight in loving us, and that's the way God is. He wants us to delight in him. So even though that's true, yes, there are some times when you just will to do right because your relationship with God at that point, there's just you're in such a battle. It's at this moment just willing to be kind to this person. But you know, you do not want to substitute for suit that for the gospel because you know what will happen? What God in his Grace and mercy will do for you. He will put you in a position where I don't care if you will till the cows come home, it's not going to (laughs) work and it's not going to be enough. All of a sudden, your will, even in your strong will, is not strong enough to do the right thing. And you have to be careful about making that will because then you can become very moralistic. I remember when we lived in Florida, it was very difficult for me because here we have our son who struggled a lot lots with his behavior, lots of issues. Um, proclaimed Christ and we really believe that he I mean he's just very interested in spiritual things and in the word and begging God to help him to obey better and just lots of struggles and I'm thinking here we live in this subdivision where there are kids who are living more moral life and obeying better and It was just like a lot of families around that their kids were real smart and they're all about becoming attorneys and wanting to do wonderful things. And they're living these moral, quote unquote, lives. And I'm thinking, okay, what is wrong with this picture? That we're the ones that have the gospel, and yet why are these people living this way? It's because there can be people who do not know Christ, who have strong wills, and God's given them keen minds and and disciplined by where they can lead very moral lives and be very unsaved. So why would we ever want to substitute for the gospel like that that's no diff- why do you need why did Christ have to come if that's what it took? If it just takes willing to do better and I'm just going to try harder. Well, there's a whole world that's doing really well trying hard and they don't have the gospel. And Christ's coming would be in vain if that's what it was all about. So make sure you're not substituting the will. I grew up in a generation, and those of you that are in like 20s and 30s, it's, I think it's really different now, especially the 20s. But I'm in my 50s, and I think 50s and 60s, all those ages. I We really grew up in a culture where there was a strong emphasis on morality, and it was will. So when I talk to older people sometimes, they'll make that kind of statement. They just... I can't stand all these divorces. Why don't they just learn? You just stick with your husband and you just love him, whether you just do it. And it's the way they talk it just kind of makes me amused just a little bit because this is coming from the generation where my mom will do this sometimes. We don't do like young people do today. Do you think we had it? We had it rough, but no, we hung in there. We did the right thing. And she talks like, I'm like, mom, you're talking like your generation. Yes, you guys were willful. I'm glad. And you just did the right thing. And you went and you woke up at three and milked the cows. And then you (laughs) did this and you did that. And you were workers and you didn't have time to sit around and think how bad life was. I see. You know, I'm glad for you, Mom, and and I'm glad that I grew up with some of that. But you know what? You can't substitute that for the gospel. That's not the answer. Why don't they just start willing? So that's the will. That's moralism. Or then there's emotionalism. Emotionalism puts emphasis on the emotions in your heart. So as long as I'm feeling really spiritual, everything's good. And as long as I have this really cool worship experience, it's really great. Now, this younger generation and those of you that are 20s, you know, and when I say this, I'm not cutting you down at all because I just, you know, blasted us. The younger generation now, the, I think the huge gospel substitute now is emotionalism. So I could go to a conference where I'm helping out with lots of college kids. I can be at Passion and I can be surrounded by kids who are passionate, and I, they mean it. I'm not, I'm not minimizing at that point that there isn't this sense of emotion. But you know what? If it's not the gospel, they have all that passion, and then they go have sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend that night. It, 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 there's a disconnect sometimes. Just being passionate doesn't mean I'm walking in the truth of the gospel, and I'm living a life that is displaying the holiness of God. Um, so, and you can't, you know, some people just, they have to keep going to conferences, and I grew up in a kind of circle of um, fundamentalism where there was a strong emphasis on, like, going forward and throwing sticks in the fire, and I'm like, you know what? You can burn down a whole, cut down a whole forest and stick a whole forest in the fire. It's not going to be enough, all those emotional experiences, and you don't want to substitute it. And sometimes, frankly, if you do that, God will allow you to go through a darkness, and he will allow you to get put into a tunnel that's dark and dreary, and it's emotionally painful, and you know what? The gospel will get you through. Christ will get you through, and it doesn't matter if you even see light at the end of the tunnel on this earth. There is light, and it could be glory, and it could be your heavenly home. And until then, you'll take one day at a time trying to be give praise to the glory of of God's glorious grace that he has removed from you all condemnation and that you have the hope of eternal life, even if you're in a dark tunnel. So if I'm counseling someone, I never say, you know what? We're going to get you right through this, and I promise this is going to happen, and then you're going to feel all better. It is more, you know what? I want to get you to the point that you know Number one, you don't deserve for your life to be better. I don't deserve. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve. But Christ in his great righteousness gave us and his great love for us gave us himself. And he gave us the hope of eternal life. And if our life here is dark and dreary and it's emotionally painful, let's live in the emotional pain to the glory of God's amazing grace and his love. And that can happen to believers. We've talked about that. There can be emotional torment. And it doesn't mean just go read your Bible more and straighten up. You know, I hate that kind of, it's not, that's so simplistic. And, And if you do that, you're not understanding the intricacy of the human body and the things that people fight with. And that's really, it robs from the glory of God anyway. So we don't make substitutes for our emotions. And we don't have to always feel a certain way. And if you do that, you know what? You'll also be very discouraging to people whose emotional makeup is not super intense. Um, One time my daughter, I'm just real emotionally intense, so I feel things, I cry, I get mad, I'm happy, and everything's all real expressive. My husband's not that way, and my daughter is not that way. And one time, she hardly ever cries, she was about 10, and there were tears kind of in her eyes. We're sitting at her, an orthodontist appointment, I'll never forget this and she i said Macy what's wrong because i know if she doesn't ever cry and she went i don't i don't know if i love god i don't i'm i'm just worried i don't love god well she was processing this that she noticed i'm more intense and when i talk about god or and she just doesn't feel that way so i have to encourage her i need her to know you do not have to be like other people if you go to camp and some speaker is talking, and all the friends around you are crying, or you're singing a song, and they all have their hands up like this, and they're swaying, and, you know, it's not that it's not real to them, but the fact that you just stand here and and are kind of looking at them, (laughs) and it really bugs her when she sees people doing that that aren't living lives, you know, that are, she's just like, she gets so holier than thou, and I have to say, just like you want people to be gracious to you, you need to be gracious to other people. This is part of being a believer, but it's not trying to be like someone else, because you don't have to substitute the gospel for an emotional experience. You're always going to be boring, honey, so just accept it. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I, I do feel like saying that. Well, actually, I probably have, um, but that is the way, she, and some of you are like that, and you think, what's wrong with me? It, there's nothing wrong you you have a God design and you don't have to be like everybody else my husband now I'm laughing that he's been singing and his hands are actually like this and I'm like whoa whoa look at you showing emotion there like wow um, and that is just like the most he'll he'll ever get out that's okay um it doesn't matter cuz it's not about that it's it's not substituting it's it's just it's just not what it's about so emotionalism and then the third one would be intellectualism and intellectualism substitutes the mind you always have to figure everything out and you have a lot of conflict in your mind if you are someone that has conflict in your mind this is going to be one of your tendencies i have a lot of conflict in my mind Uh, We had to do this exercise in one of the counseling classes I took at RTS where we had to get on the ground and outline ourselves and then write what we're feeling in our body, like at your heart or your stomach. And and the whole idea was to get people, then we had to stand up and give a testimony about God's work in our lives. And the whole point, um, the teacher was saying, this gets people to open up about sexual abuse, about maybe their immorality, that they're trying to, they don't like parts of their body. And, And it was a really neat experience. But I remember mine didn't really have anything anywhere. I guess I just felt like I'm bodiless. But in up in the mind, I wrote pow and all this like fireworks up in my mind. And then I wrote a big, big heart. And, and that's all I said. And I told them, I said, you know, what? I feel like my life is, number one, I feel things really deeply. Like it's just so deep. My husband doesn't understand it. He just was like, wow. I'm like, honey, you should try to be me. He goes, no, no, thank you. No, no, no. <laughs> but I feel it real deeply. I just, like, when I hurt, I really hurt, and I really love people, and relationships are important to me, and all my friends are important to me. And, and I want things to be, well. I don't like conflict between people. It just kills me. But then I also have this mind that's always trying to figure things out. How did this happen? Why did that happen? Why do I feel this way? Oh no. And what did God mean by this? And what's this theological implication of this? But I've read this and why that? And why, how can someone be this? And if they're a a Calvinist, why are they thinking that? And how could you do this? And why? I mean, it just goes crazy. And I really have to stop sometimes. And this is what just keeps helping me over and over when God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. And then Romans eleven thirty three. 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, that I don't have to come to the logical end of everything. And that's why I'm saying when I went through that crisis, it really just helped me finally to just say, God is sovereign. Okay, simple. I just had to go to simple. Just simple, he's sovereign. I don't need to deal with this anymore and try to figure all this out. It was driving me crazy, and I could see the enemy would love that because it robs me of peace, it robs me of joy, it robs me of living to the praise of his glorious grace. It makes it about me. It's not about the gospel. It's about me and my thoughts and my understanding and my figuring out what's going on and my logic and my being happy with what's going on or my heart and how I feel. And there's a difference in the gospel living. And it's a difference when I counsel people in being empathetic and having compassion, having God's compassion that loves them and wants to see improvement, but knowing I can't do it for them that I bring to the table nothing to help this person except to direct them to Christ, that Christ is the one, that it's not my job. And so if I am upset because I'm dealing with someone and I'm not seeing a lot of victory and they take another big nosedive off the abyss and there's a problem and I am all upset about it, you know what? That's a warning to me to say, I've invested too much of myself into this, and I'm thinking that somehow I was responsible to do this. If you are a parent, and I know in a room this size, there are some of you that have children that are struggling. Some of you have adult children that are struggling deeply in sin, and it's painful for you. If you are constantly so upset about that, and you can't find joy in Christ, you need to ask yourself, Am I thinking, am I substituting the message of the gospel with myself, that I keep thinking there's something that I should have been able to do, there's something that I should have done differently? Do you know what? We all have things we should have done differently. I don't care if you're a parent and have 10 kids all in the mission field writing theological books. (laughs) There are things you could have done differently, and it's Christ. It's his grace alone. So you confess the things that you know you did wrong, that you should have done better, and you just look to Christ and say, Lord, you are the healer of the broken heart. I am not. I'm a mess. I, I'm needy. And, I, and I'm in and my weakness is my strength. And I don't always try to think there's got to be a formula. Isn't it amazing? I was just talking to someone at breakfast that psychologists talk about this, that we don't like, we're afraid of other people's pain. We're afraid of it because we're afraid it will somehow wear off on us. So we distance ourselves from other people's pain. And you know how we distance ourselves? We distance ourselves by pointing out things that we don't do, that they do, that might somehow make it impossible for their painful world to be our painful world. And the example they gave in a book that I was reading, I thought this was interesting, it said how many times if someone is killed in a car accident and they happen not to have a seatbelt. What is the first thing that everybody is going to talk about from then on, if you don't have a seatbelt? Well, you know she didn't have well she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Well, you know, she wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And, and why are we so prone to have to point those things out at all times? Because part of it, it isn't just that, yes, it's a fact, it's dangerous to not have a seatbelt. But you know what? People are killed all the time who wear seatbelts. It's that at that point when we say that, we think that's going to somehow distance ourselves from that kind of pain. Or someone, Paul Tripp, some of you have heard of Paul Tripp, but he was sharing, he had a daughter that was walking on the side of the road and a car came, careened right into her, smashed her against a brick wall, broke almost every bone in her body. She's being, I mean, she's actually walking around now. I mean, it's an amazing story. But he was sharing that, how people would say, oh, well, I never let my kids walk on the side of the road like that. I don't do that. I mean, they're thinking, they're they're not trying to be mean, but what what are they doing at that point? Oh, no, that's not going to happen because I don't do this. That happens even with the way children, when they struggle. If someone struggles, you can just hear people sitting around sometimes. Well, that dad was never home. He was always ministering. Did you notice that? But you could have the same family where their kids turn out well and they're loving God and they'll go, oh, he's just so godly. You know, just loves people, goes around and serves the Lord all the time. And it's because we just, that's what we do as humans. And that's why we need to stop doing that. We need to stop substituting the message of the gospel for our formulas, whether they're emotional formulas or intellectual formulas or whether they're will formulas of the will. And we need to just say this is all about Christ. This is all about the gospel. And when we don't make the substitutes, then we'll, push other people to Christ too. And our responses to them will be more Christ-like. So if someone's going through a hard time with their child, you go, you know what, can I pray with you? God is powerful. He's so great. And he's sovereign. And let's just pray that God will work. Let's beg him. Let's beg him to work in this child's life and trust him and know that he's good and he's great. And he does all things well and that he's got you in the palm of his hand, and your relationship with Christ is the most important thing, and that's what we can do. Just love him and allow him to do what he wills. We don't understand it. We can't figure it out, and we just focus on the message of who he is without making substitutes. Okay, am I supposed to stop? Yeah, okay. Were you trying Were you trying to signal to me the whole time? You were trying to mind my peace. Oh, you're just like there going... I'm like, what is her problem? She needs to chill. <laughs> okay, I forgot. I told you to help me mind my P's and Q's. <laughs> okay, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the word. And Lord, we cannot express to you enough thanks, and our hearts are overwhelmed with the fact that you chose to set your love on us, that we are here as women of a holy God who has taken away all the punishment and all the condemnation and all the consequence of our sin for eternity. And yet we do deal with things here, Lord, but you have promised to deal with us lovingly, that you deal with us mercifully. And Lord, we are so thankful for that. And may today we just rejoice and deal with each other and interact with each other out of that fullness, and that we will not make any substitutes for the gospel, but rest in your glorious grace. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.